to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, some very interesting developments in the Atlassian Ecosystem with a new version of Confluence and a, quote, low-key interesting update to Bitbucket Server. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and joining me today are Brenda Burrell and Jamie Sawyer. Matthew Stubblefield has entered the hallowed ranks of the fathers of our world, uh, having he and his wife have had a baby, and we much, send them much congratulations but Matthew won't be joining us for a little while. So, Jamie, Brenda, hi guys. How's it going? Hello. Hi, Ron. Yeah, not too bad. Good, good. Good to see you. So, guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, how awesome is Matthew Stubblefield going to be as a parent? I'm going to give him an 11. What do you think? I'm, I'm going to agree with you, although I'm fairly certain he's already planned out the child's life for the first 10 years, and uh, it's going to have to stick to that schedule. Well, yeah, we, we already know about his OKRs. They'll be reviewing <laughs> at least at three years old. I, I, I am fully expecting to hear about um, baby Simon's um, you know, performance evaluations at age three. He's, he's a little cutie. Moving on, Confluence 6.12, new version with a, some interesting features in here. Jamie, what do you think is the big one that we need to, to take a look at? Uh, I, from my perspective, the the changes within uh, the synchrony setup are quite key within this one. Um, this is one of the greatest bugbears that we've seen with customers with getting their data center instances up and running and making sure that when they do spin up new nodes, they're actually running properly. Um, it's a very simple change. I, I will suggest that. But uh, it means that you don't need to be continually updating your uh, configuration files with separate uh, synchrony server URLs. This means that it will automatically be spinning up uh, synchrony proxies and synchrony uh, applications within your Confluence nodes. This just makes your admin so much simpler. And it, it's the way that they've implemented this means that you don't need to change any processes that you currently have. It means that for new customers, it's going to be a lot easier for them to get started using BitCenter. And the node functionality uh, that comes along in data center also allows you to take, to quote, take the worry out of PDF exports. So this spins off an intensive process to another node. Am I right? Uh, it's uh, effectively pushing it off to an external process pool. Uh, but yes, uh, it, it, in essence, what it's doing is allowing these CPU-intensive tasks, and they've added PDF exports to this list of CPU-intensive tasks, uh, so as that they're not going to impact your day-to-day -day running. So it means that when people do, do PDF exports, you're not going to see a slowdown on that node anymore. Nice. And something that also could be pretty handy to the admins out there, there is now a Microsoft installer package available to easily distribute the companion app across your organization. What this does is allows you to take uh, advantage of the, the document repository aspect that was released in Confluence 6.11 um, to better effect on Microsoft networks. So have fun with that. Edit your files and save them back to the Confluence page. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, 
if you wanted to add on to that, the, the kind of point of that one is to make it easy for admins to push this to all of their teams so as that their individual users can have this pre-installed on their machines so as that they can then utilize that feature without, uh, in a seamless way is, is probably the key to that one. And Jamie Sawyer actually um, fixing what I missed in the, the new Confluence update. Now, when I said double quote, low key interesting earlier, I was referring to Jamie's thoughts on Bitbucket Server 5.14. Jamie, you want to tell us why this is low key interesting? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, as, as part of my line of work, I, I do a lot of migrations, in particular migrations from uh, server installs to data center installs and things like that as companies grow. Uh, one problematic side of this within Bitbucket has always been that Bitbucket does not really provide or hasn't in the past provided a nice way of creating a portable set of your configuration. Obviously, Git repositories are simple enough to move from one server to another, but your configuration has always been a bit tricky. You don't have an XML export in the same way as you do on Confluence or Jira. Um, what has been released in Bitbucket Server 5.14 is actually some REST endpoints that create this portable format, so, which can then be imported into data center instances. It doesn't solve the problem on all sides, but it certainly does for migrations to data center. Um, so this is a big, big change for people that are considering that move towards the data center world and that growing um, uh, system that everyone seems to have these days. I'm sitting here watching Ryan's eyebrows just get higher and higher, and I'm wondering, you know, how much more surprised can Ryan get? I Well, I'm not surprised. This is exactly what I was talking about last episode, where, man, you're seeing some things happening for data center. You're seeing immediate and constant change in cloud. Server feels like the, insert your favorite uh, a euphemism for a neglected thing <laughs> here. <laughs> Yeah, I, th I think that's an interesting take. It's certainly, we're seeing a lot of customers growing. And with growing customers, they run into performance problems or they run into scalability or business continuity requirements that they didn't have when they were a lot smaller. And this gives customers an obvious drive to be moving from server to data center. On the other hand, we've also got cloud. And cloud, as, as we know, is, is growing. As was announced at Summit this year, they're increasing the user tiers available for cloud. Cloud is becoming a, uh, a bigger and better tool for the lower end of the market. And so naturally, server is being squeezed a little. And, and so I think that's what you're seeing here is they're focusing on, on where the future, um, uh, the, the future that people want to be using is coming from, which appears to be cloud and data center. I think this has wider ranging. No, I think, you know, Jamie's making this look like, ah, and he, I, uh, uh, I hate to see the little guy or the mid-sized guy get forgotten about. I hate that. You know, that, that feels like IBM to me, but, um, not to say that the ThinkPad isn't a fine product, but I don't know that. I just know it has a red light on the back, you know, in a triangle and that's pretty neat. But man, I hate that pencil eraser mouse thing. Who's into that? Are either of you into that? Be honest. No? Okay. No, no, I, I'm, I'm more than happy with my little custom-built PC. <laughs> so we've, we've let Jamie 
wax philosophic about all the technical stuff. We've got a couple of articles that kind of shift things away from specific products and are a little bit more about um, teamwork. And so we, we hit on an article on the Atlassian blog. And of course, we'll include a link to that on the SoundCloud page, as always. Um, and it's entitled, You're Wrong and That's All Right. And it's about intellectual humility. And it starts off with a, a little anecdote about, you know, um, turn of the 20th century, there were two quirky scientists who would work all day on a really complicated project. And they'd spend all morning basically yelling at each other and not getting along. And then at lunch, they'd sit down, they'd eat together. And after lunch, they'd switch perspectives and they'd argue from the other scientist's side. And the blog post goes on to say that these two were or Orville and Wilbur Wright and the rest is history. Um, and so the article talks about how it's okay to be wrong um, and talks about intellectual humility, um, defining it as the non-threatening awareness of one's intellectual fallibility. Um, so it essentially is you recognize and embrace the fact that you won't always be right. Now, of course, I'm always right. So this is going to be really difficult for me, but, um, no debate. It, it is <laughs> no debate, none whatsoever, but it's, it's about working, um, to respect other viewpoints and be willing to revise your own. And we don't always see this at work. Uh, you know, our, our coworkers are, are pushing their own ideas. You know, this is their, their approach to things. Um, and so there, the article talks about three things you can do right now to exercise intellectual humility. And, and the first one is a big one. And this is one that is going to be hard for people. It's argue the other side. It's, it's sit down when, when you're at odds with someone, try looking at it from their perspective, argue it from their point of view. Wouldn't that be a, a great skill for us to take to our general lives in this Indeed. day and age? Indeed. And, and it is something I have been working on is, you know, I, I try to look at things from other perspectives. Um, this really, it, it changes the way you think about things, you know, hey, here's, here's, I've got, I'm, I'm entrenched in my way or the highway, maybe there's a better way. Um, and the article talks about if you're asked a question, you don't know the answer, just say, I don't know. Um, that's okay. If pretending you know an answer when you don't can really waste time down the road. And admitting you don't know something helps you build trust with others. Um, so if you're honest about not knowing, um, you know, your teammates are more likely to believe you when you do know the answer. Um, this is one I struggle with. I really struggle with it. I have a question um, about this, yes. Brenda. What do you, so this is what I do with my kids often. And I'm wondering what your two take on it is. I will say, cause they'll ask questions that are insightful, interesting, and I have absolutely no idea what the heck they're talking about. So I'll say, I don't know. Would you like my best guess? And sometimes they'll say yes, and sometimes they'll say no. And then I'll base my, this guess on pure obser on observations that I've had around a particular topic, and d give disclaimers of that. Is that missing the point of no, of intellectual I don't humility? I, I don't think it is. Um, you know, that's it's some that's often my approach. I'm I deliver training courses. I you know I provide consultancy services, and sometimes I get asked things I don't know. And it's let me, you know, I don't know right now. Let me, you know, I'll, I'll try to synthesize something from the information I do know. Um, and, and maybe the end result is let me get back to you on that. And, and that's perfectly fine. Um, it's something that I do kind of struggle with because I want to know all the answers. I'm, I'm here as a consultant. I should know everything, that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it's okay to not know. And it's okay to say either this is my best guess, but let me confirm. 
or I don't know, and I don't know enough about this topic to really give you an educated guess. So let me do some research or get you in touch with someone who does that. That's perfectly acceptable. Jamie Sawyer, tell us the story about you having to, to own up to being incorrect and learn a lesson. I doubt it's ever happened, but give us just one. I, for, for me, I, th- I think the the more interesting side of this, the bit which I get in a lot of trouble with my wife about, <laughs> is uh, the argue the other side. Um, th- this is something which I am, yeah, as you can imagine, my wife and I have similar views on a lot of things. This said, I will always, without fail, take the other side of an argument. Um, play the devil's advocate role. Really try to explore the problem. And I think this is a really good way, even if you're talking about topics where you're not at odds with someone else, you're actually in agreement. It's an important mechanism for actually getting a broader view of the topic that you're discussing, whether that's something in the workspace, whether that's something in politics, whether that's something in anything else. It's an important tool to really get a, a, at least somewhat more of a rounded view of the topic than you would otherwise have by just saying, I think this, I also think this. Great. <laughs> That's not much of a conversation, is it? Indeed, indeed. And and there's there's this push against, uh, the word argument is seen quite negatively. But an argument, you know, a debate, this is, this is how we learn, this is how we explore a topic. And actually, I think arguments are a very good thing. Um, I, I, I would like to hope that my wife agrees, although I'm not entirely sure that's true. Well, she's not she's not shaking her fist at you from off camera, so we're good. Do um, we know? I don't know. Well, I don't see. Oh, well, true. I don't see. I in the camera view that we have. She, she she's in Swindon at the moment, so. Ah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always she's in shaking Swindon. Her fist at you from Swindon. Um, so recently, with a technical call, I had, and it was it was a technical call before we spoke to some clients. I had this this really like firm idea, like we need this information going in, and because it had been delayed for a while, and I just wanted to give them what they had asked for a while ago, and was like, "Look, I know that it's not exactly what they're looking for, but let's get a ballpark so that we can at least give them what they asked for." And finally, the technician that was on the call, the engineer on the call, um, finally brought me around. He's like, "Look, it could be no, it wasn't this time. It wasn't you, Jamie." <laughs> Though, though Jamie has brought me around, it's one of our colleagues in the managed services team, uh, Matt Hope. Big up, Matt Hope, Matt Hope, for being a reasonable human. Um, he totally, totally helped me be like, okay, I get it. I'm wrong. Thank you for setting me straight. Now let's go to the customer on the same page. I'll, I'll echo the shout out to Matt Hope as a reasonable human. And, and I like that phrase. I think the whole article kind of plays into... As people, you know, ideally, we're going to show empathy for others, and that makes us reasonable and good human beings. And so this, this article kind of plays a lot into that. So the last portion of it, I just wanted to, to make a comment, was about choosing your words wisely and phrasing things so that you're leaving things open for discussion. So I could be wrong, but, or in my opinion, um, I, I will point out um, this, this advice is great if you're a dude. Um, if you're not a dude and you have an opinion and you say, in my opinion, my experience has been that that often you're perceived as undervaluing yourself. So great advice for guys to phrase their words, you know, carefully, like, you know, in my experience or for what it's worth, that sort of thing. 
Um, I, I'd kind of, I'd be hesitant as a woman in tech to couch my language too much because that has in the past led to me being ignored or, um, my input has not been as valued on things. So you would suggest to leave it out and just go direct. Yeah. For the ladies, 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 for the ladies. Um, and, and, and part of it is that women do that by default. You know, we, we are sort of, I'm generalizing here, but we're generally conditioned to, my ideas are not as important. So I'm going to couch them in language like, you know, I could be wrong, but I'm actually working on the opposite. I'm working on taking that language out of my day-to-day speech um, because I do tend to put myself last and I'm, I'm exhausted and I'm stressed out and there's a lot that feeds into that. And so it's like, instead of going, you know, I could be wrong, but no, I'm not wrong. This is actually the way it is, but that defeats the point of the whole article here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you're right, you're right. And you boss, you're always right. Always right. True story. Uh, you know, the, let's, let's take that empathy from this previous article <laughs> and toss it out the window as we look at the Atlassian blog and an article about the nerds. nerds. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. These guys are great. Um, they are a Atlassian team that is running their health check like a D&D campaign. Now, we are intentionally talking about this when Matthew Stubblefield is not here. Because Matthew has previously been the dungeon master for many a game, including ones where our own Brenda Burl was a player. Mm-hmm. And so I gave the, I gave Brenda this chance uh, to talk about <laughs> D and D without Matthew around. It's a safe space, D&D you know. Without, well, you know, I don't really know what D and D with without Matthew is like, to be honest. <laughs> experiences involved Matthew. Um, it's, it's a great little article. I really enjoyed reading this one. Um, and, and it, yes, they're, they're taking their teamwork tools and applying it to real life. And they even, you know, poke a little fun at themselves. We've even been known to take things maybe a little too far, like when Matt Jeffries used some collaboration techniques on his kids while his wife was traveling. Um, so yeah, they, they, they poke a little fun at themselves. They're, they're not taking it completely seriously, but, um, they, they had a, a D&D team that would meet after work. And I, I guess things, it, it, from, from the tone of the article, it sounds like things were getting a little um, heated during the, the uh, sessions. And so they decided, one of, the, one of the members of the party decided to, or suggested that they run a health monitor. And their first reaction was, oh, ha, 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 wait. That's a cool idea. And, <clears throat> you know, the points of the health monitor, which, um, you know, is linked to in the blog post, which we'll, of course, link to in, in our SoundCloud page, um, is it's, it's a practice to assess and improve the health of your team. And um, it, it assesses how well the team is working together. And um, so they're like, you know what, let's, let's give it a shot. And so for those of you that may not know, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you know what D&D is, but the blog post does go into a little description of, of what Dungeons and Dragons actually is. Um, and then they, they talk about going through this health monitor exercise and, and it, you have several areas that you're going to go through. And the idea is to provide a safe space for discussion and they'll talk about an area and each person in the party is going to do a thumbs up, a thumbs down or a thumbs sideways to indicate how they're feeling. 
about that particular section. In this uh-huh. in this case, is that anything like uh, the moment in Gladiator when Joaquin Phoenix is doing the the thing? That, I, I feel like the D and D party probably did do that. Um, I, I don't know that that's going to prop up so much in a in like in a, a workplace setting, but I can almost guarantee at least one person in this D and D party did full on um, thumbs down. Um, because looking at the dice in the picture that's on the article, it really does have like a strong Roman look. Those are some awesome dice. I'm sorry, Brenda, go ahead. No, no. Um, for those of you that are into D and D look at this blog post and look at these beautiful dice that they're using. They're just gorgeous. Um, so anyway, uh, now that we're done being distracted by the dice, um, (laughs) (laughs) it happens. Um, so the team got together, they went through a health monitor exercise. They talked about, it's very nerve wracking, um, because you're, you're trying to be very open and honest about things. And sometimes people in your team may not be getting along. Um, and, and, you know, they, they talked about in their particular party, um, the, Sarah Rowena Daybreaker was the character that is uh, facilitating the health check and is a very imposing knight. And so some of, some of the party members were a little bit nervous to say things in front of this imposing knight, um, which is very true in real life too. You know, you may have someone that's part of that team that, you know, can, can be imposing or, or cause a case of the nerves or something. Um, But what they did with this particular team was they went through this health health check. They um, they ended up with some action items. So Sarah Rowena, that that is kind of running this, um, gave things for them to do to try and improve how they were operating as a team, um, and created a mini quest for them so that they could try and work on some of the uh, the new things that they've been focusing on in this health monitor. Um, and, and yeah, it was goofy. Um, but they said they had fun and it improved the way their party was communicating. And, and of course the, the real value of a health monitor comes in repeating it down the road. You know, it's on a one-time thing, keep going with it, keep going with it. Um, you're, you're never going to be at a point where our, our team is absolute perfection and nothing will ever change. Um, because you can certainly hit a point where you're operating really well. And I'm, I'm very proud of my particular team. I feel like we're at that point. Um, but you know, you're going to get a new team member or someone's going to change job titles or something. And, and that's going to you know interrupt how things are going. So there's, there's always going to be times where you have to kind of shift gears and there will be conflicts, um, where people, people are always right. As we talked about earlier, and sometimes they're going to be right about the same thing in different ways. And they're going to find a little conflict. And so something like this, like this health monitor kind of takes that intellectual humility that we talked about on the individual level and kind of applies it at a team level. So I, I liked these two articles together. Um, I, I think that it's definitely important to be thinking about, you know, how can we continually be improving who we are and how we work as a team. Jamie Sawyer, I know that you are a big games guy. You've Jamie Sawyer provides a lovely, lovely variety of board games for the company game night in the December, uh, in our typical December conference. Um, Jamie Sawyer, but you, I, you look like the D and D playing type to me. I, I have been known to play a bit of D and D in the past. Um, at the moment I'm a bit more into paranoia than I am D and D, which is a, um, sort of dystopic future where, all of the team are basically 
hiding the fact that they're fighting against each other while on the surface pretending to like each other. It, it becomes quite fun. One thing that I think is going to be quite interesting for my next Paranoia campaign is I did notice within that you actually provide a template for this health monitor. Um, so I'm going to be taking that and trying to do that with my uh, troubleshooters within my next um, Paranoia game. What? Because I think this could please, be quite Please fun. report back. Let's yeah. do a podcast oh, where we talk about the results. Okay, but yeah. Jamie, um, uh, is this a role-playing game like D&D, just with a different um, set of rules that dictate behavior? Uh, yeah, tabletop role-playing game. They've just released a new version of it. Um, originally came out in the, I think, 80s or 90s, um, and they've just released a new version of it, which um, we've been getting into over the last uh, month or so. So are there any campaigns that you've played where you think, man, we could have used a health check? I mean, the health check is going to be used by me as the Dungeon Master as ammunition against the players but like in the past any of your D&D campaigns in the past where the party just struggled you got a you got a good story for us um did you have a Leroy Jenkins (laughs) um not so much Leroy Jenkins we've certainly had um rather overtaking characters within our group in the past that have driven things perhaps the wrong way and that have been perhaps punished by the DM for that <laughs> and perhaps um, uh, perhaps doing a party health monitor might have diffused that situation somewhat sooner um, rather than have us being murdered by a band of skeletons in a dungeon well not in a dungeon as it turns out it was in a tavern but that that was besides the point that was a rather unexpected turn which, either way uh, band of we skeletons man what a scene all right everyone that's it for this week's edition of adaptivist live thank you so much for listening do you want to talk with us do you want to be on this podcast you, you just want to let us know that you're listening please send an email to learn at adaptivist.com thank you jamie for taking part of your evening i know how late it is there yes thank you jamie we really appreciate it we don't know when matthew will be back but uh we will be back soon on adaptivist live for jamie sawyer and brenda burrow i'm ryan spilkin and we'll see you next time uh microsoft installed the package oh okay all right so let's so you can see that group policy Thank you.